You're listening to All the Best. I'm Danny Stewart. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording on stolen Gadigal land. Pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognize that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. This week, stories about the unexpected treasures that can be found when venturing out of the city. In our first story, twins Matilda and Sam visit their dad in Lightning Ridge and find that the city isn't the only place where creatives can thrive. We would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aura Nation as the traditional custodians of the country in which we work and create. We recognise their continuing connection to the land and waters and thank them for protecting this coastline and its ecosystem. We pay our respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to all First Nations people listening to us today, acknowledging that sovereignty was never ceded. It is hot, hot, hot. My body is limp. I wish I was a shrimp. I must go down to the seas again, to the salty sea and the sky. But wait, I cannot. Oh no, bronze brethren. I cannot go to the beach. My heart is elsewhere. My bathers belong at the ball baths. Give me the sweet smell of sulphur. I float to the happy sounds of foreign languages. Toilets crying out to be used. Oh, the boar bars. Don't talk to me of rolling sands and golden surf. Ridiculous glass bottom boats. You can keep your mordialics. Your manlies, your toot garooks. I'm allergic to scuba diving. I do not collect shells. Blue ringed octopuses, octopi, octopasti. Do not fascinate me. I cannot ride a windsurfer. Today is finally the day we begin our trip to Lightning Ridge. One my sister and I had been counting down since our dad moved to the region a little under a year ago. We are originally from Darug and Gundagara country, the Blue Mountains and Pemret. Life out in the Wild West was a sweet disposition of suburbia and seclusion. The magnitude and beauty of the views were ones that compared to no other. However, the yearning to be in and around more people was one that called us. We often bumbled out to Gadigal on the weekends as we simply couldn't get enough of the buzz that the city had to offer. Finally relocating to the inner workings of the city, I feel as if we are a part of the piece of the puzzle that is this city. We love the community we live in and its kooky people. It almost feels weird to be leaving it all. G'day, my name's Stephen. Our dad had the same kind of thoughts we did about living in Darugan Gundangara country but he couldn't be more the opposite in where his direction had pulled him. Why did I move to Lightning Ridge? 
moving 717 kilometres away to mining town and land of promise, Lightning Ridge. I started coming here in the 60s with my grandfather camping. Visiting with family as a child, he knew it was a place that owned his heart. We soaked in the bore bars. You could see the steam a kilometre away walking up the road. Collected opal chips and put them in a jar of water. That jar always held special memories. He dreamed for years of taking the plunge to get to the dirt city. I started coming back again and I said the first time back, this is where I'm coming to retire and mine. And finally took the leap in 2021 with the second COVID lockdown setting him free. Starting our journey, we know it's going to be a big one. Almost a 12 hour long trip. We take in our surroundings for one final time before jumping onto the train. As the bus travels from Walgett, we leave both the city suburbs and the sun as it shines its final rays beaming through the glass, giving us both rosier cheeks and light sunburns. Squinting, trying to look through the windows past our own reflections looking back at us, we see we are getting closer and closer to Lightning Ridge. A pang of excitement hits us, and for some reason, I feel a little nervous. Once we finally arrive at our destination, we are greeted by our dad, who is known to many as Elvis. He once explained why this nickname had stuck, but to be honest, neither of us could recite this story with any hint of linear meaning. We're a little taken aback with how much our dad has adjusted to life on the red dirt, and maybe a little jealous that the region has him now, or jealous we can't stay forever. We're a little awestruck. Driving through the small township, we were reminded of the times we would drive with our dad in the mountains. We were met with a sense of pride and pure ecstasy within the area. The houses and living here now are reminiscent of where I grew up in the 60s with a touch of a Mad Max film set with the off-grid living, sense of adventure and freedom. The hodgepodge homes with what seems like Australia's largest collection of corrugated iron collectively, we are told of the amazing places. A pony, a pistol, a golf club, a race course, a rodeo, a hospital, flying doctor, ambulance. The people are very friendly and community minded. I've met visitors who come here regularly from South Australia and Victoria tourists that have visited and decided to, to stay and live, locals that have left to live for a sea change in Surfers or Byron and return because they didn't like it. We drive past extremely artistic and creative homesteads. We quite literally see a castle. It's interesting to us to see just how far art can travel when there are no limits to creativity or time. Already we are feeling invigorated and inspired to create whilst on our journey in the ridge. There are a lot of artists and a lot of galleries and many varied interests. I think released with the sense of freedom and doing as you like. I've recently painted a large redundant satellite dish that was on my property bright yellow and put a black smiley face on it. Stood it up and pointed it towards the road. Makes me smile now when I see it and how I've repurposed it. I've also seen people stop their cars and take photos of it. So I think 
It's also made other people happy, which I think that's what life's all about. My dad's comments on his view of what life is all about force me to consider my own sense of self. Personally, when I'm able to express myself through creative outputs, I'm truly feeling the most connected to the people around me. Sitting in my dad's guest room, I stare into the bathroom that was clad with frogs only hours before and think about how such a remote region can feel so connected. I'm unable to fully claim I understand why, but maybe it's the ability that the people have in the region to gain a sense of artistic liberty. It's practically impossible to wander the streets of Lightning Ridge without encountering some of the hyper-focused, realistic and silly artworks of John Murray. Much like Dad, John Murray came from the big city and later in adulthood was allured to Lightning Ridge. Although neither Sam or myself met the town's enigmatic John Murray, we're instead able to meet two lovely poets who reside within the home that was once owned by the artist, who are iconic in their own right, award-winning entertainers and Australian bush poets, Mel and Susie live in a unique off-grid art camp, originally curated by John Murray. We're feeling very touched to have the invitation to visit the home of the two charismatic and charming writers and performers. And in what feels like the blink of an eye, our time in the Opal City has come to an end. Our dad drives us into town where the bus waits to take us home. You know you've had a good time when these trips are emotional and you don't want to leave. I had a bit of a cry on the bus on the way home. My hot tears and flushed face isn't being covered by my big orange sunnies. As it's pretty obvious Matilda and I have been crying, a stranger approaches us and introduces himself. His name is Ernest Smith. He's a proud Marawari man who grew up in the small town of Gudanga, northern New South Wales. He'd been spending time in Lightning Ridge, like ourselves, and was now, like ourselves, making his way back to the hustle and bustle of the city. Ernest is a very talented poet and a great conversationalist. Seeing that we were still emotional leaving behind our dad, he asks if we would like to hear some of his poetry. My beautiful child, there once was a boy so innocent and wild, his mother sent him to school to learn for a while. The teacher gave him a book, all he learned about was Captain Cook, invading his people's land, so today he was taught by an old black man. Old black man took him across his land, said to him, son, we are now upon one sacred stand. This my boy is just one of many, one of many massacre sites where our people had fought and died day and night. Then the white man came, took all our children away, taught them this and that, which really changed them from being black. So today they run the land, looking for their mothers again. All throughout this is sacred pain, and for this so many still so angry and so wild, but forever and always be my beautiful child. Ernest's poem was comforting, but it also reminded us that despite its artistic potential and natural beauty, Lightning Ridge is also stolen land and a place that is still healing from dispossession and colonial violence. 
this trip and our experience of all the creatives was one that will stay with me for a while. The splendour of the people was inspiring to me. I felt like connecting with all these beautiful mediums and people left me feeling a bit more like myself. Kind of strange to think that some people that were once strangers with some amazing poetry, an arid desert and our dad's nirvana would leave me feeling this way. That story was produced by Sam and Matilda Elliott. Mel Chun was the supervising producer. You're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. I'm Danny Stewart. All the Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. Up next, when visiting Darwin in a time of crisis, Daniel finds something life-changing. And a heads up for mention of drug and alcohol addiction and strong language. It was uh, February, March in 2000 in Sydney and the city of Sydney was tidying itself up for the upcoming Olympics, which were later in the year. And they were doing that by shipping the city's homeless people up into the mountains and uh, painting the subways and cleaning the parks. Um, But my life, however, was falling apart. Um, I'd come out of the 80s and the 90s with a close-knit group of friends that were standing by me, but at this point in my life they were finding that very difficult to to do and to continue to do as I descended further into addiction after... uh, seven or eight years of being clean and sober and having not used any alcohol or drugs for that time and uh, uh, coming into some money and I started drinking again. And throughout that period I had friends that were shooting up speed and I found myself doing what I always thought or told myself that I would never do because I had a brother that was a heroin addict that I would never do that to myself. And at the age of 34, and I was a late bloomer, um, I started using. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't long I'd come into that money and it wasn't long. It was two years of madness and insanity and I was, I'd gone through all my money. Can't imagine where that had gone. But, um, you know, I, uh, it, was, it was pretty insane. You know, I had moved for the third time in as many months and I remember during that point that I had received a letter, uh, or sorry, received a phone call from a friend that was looking after or picking up my mail from, you know, my move about four moves ago when I had a job and I was stable. And he, uh, we agreed that we would um, meet for coffee on Oxford Street in Darlinghurst. And that's, that's, you know, that's pivotal in the story because it's you know, a huge gay community. And I happen to be gay, but um, so we, we, you know, we we met, and uh, I was pretty down. I was pretty depressed at the time. I had lost a couple of friends in the years before that to different complications and overdoses, and um, I was going through the mail, and he was asking me how I was, and I said, "Well, I need to get out of this fucking city. Like I've been here 18 years. My life was unraveling." It was, a, it was turmoil after working for the university for seven or eight years and having a really stable job. My life was falling apart. 
And in amongst the mail, I was going through it. There was all these bills, you know. <laughs> you're, you're, you're unmanageable. There's always, always bills, you know what I mean? Like, and that here was a letter from Qantas saying that my – I've been told I have to put it on my chin – saying that my, um, <laughs> my frequent flyers were about to expire at the end of June. So this was you know, January, February, March, sometime around there. And um, – I thought, well, okay, let's go on a holiday. <laughs> your, life, your life's fucked anyway, and you may, you're unmanageable, so you, you might as well take a break. So that's exactly what I did. And I'm like, well, where will I go? Uh, Brisbane, Perth, Melbourne? No, I'll go somewhere I haven't been. You know, so I chose Darwin. And I came to Darwin. I booked a holiday, I, you know, I booked the flights, I booked a, I booked a, a trip to Kakadu. And I can recall walking down Oxford Street, ironically, walking down Oxford Street thinking, maybe, just maybe, I'll meet somebody. Here I was in the biggest gay ghetto in the country, <laughs> on the main street, thinking, I'm going to meet somebody in that one. <laughs> Fuck me. Never having been here before. <laughs> anyway, so we hop on the flight. It's, it's May, I booked the flight for May. I don't know what the date was. Uh, it was early, I know it was a Monday. I arrived on a Monday. And I remember how amazing the weather was and just getting off the plane and coming out of the airport at that time of the year and the vastness and the, just this sense of space, you know, like being closed in in Sydney. Maybe it was, <laughs> my life was falling apart, but... Um, <laughs> You know, everything was seemed brighter here. Everything was cleaner. Everything was there was just this space, this openness, and I instantly sort of, sort of, just started to relax. You know, I could take a step outside my my life. And uh, the following day, I was walking out of the old Woolies building. You know, the the building that they're tidying up. They're a bit slow behind the times. You know, um, and there was this friend across the road. She. Uh, she was up from Catherine doing a training course and I hadn't seen her in years. And she said to me, why don't you come out on Thursday night to the gay night at Discovery called Vanity? And I was like, well, well, okay, that's pretty good. I couldn't see any resemblance of a gay community in the two days I'd been here because <laughs> there was nothing in the cafes or nothing in the newspapers. There was nobody advertising anything in the paper that I saw. And all I did for the two days that I was here was, you know, hung around cafes and, and, uh, and coffee shops and, like, what I, lo I love to watch people just go by, you know, just watch people. And so we agreed that we would meet and I met her a couple of days later and we were in Discovery and um, I walked in and I thought, this place is really weird, you know. Like, <laughs> besides the fact that it looks like it's a sheep barn, right? <laughs> But there's black plastic everywhere, all the way down the side of the wall or behind the dance floor and up beside the bar. And anyway, so her and I, she was a lesbian, so her and I go up, not that that's relevant, but um, <laughs> we, uh, we go up to uh, grab a couple of drinks and we're having a couple of drinks. And then we, we get on the dance floor and we start dancing and off to the left-hand side of the bar, just across the road, you know, just across from the edge of the um, dance floor is this guy checking me out, smiling at me. Well, at least I thought he was checking me out. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, okay, you're pretty hot. 
So we start dancing together, you know, we have a good time. As, you know, I was feeling like I was 16, you know, you get those fluctuations and that energy and you're not sure where it's going to go and you have a good time. Anyway, so we're on the dance floor, we started kissing at one point and he said, let's, you know, let's go and sit on the couch. So we go to a couch. An upmarket club, it's got a couch. And, uh, and I go, so he asks, yeah, he asks me where I was from and, and I said Sydney and I think he said something about, oh, you were a blowing, you know. I, I did stand out, I did have bleached hair, which is sort of relevant to the rest of the story as well. But um, I said, so what's with the black plastic? Like, are they doing renovations? Like, that's what I thought, you know. Like, I was expecting there was going to be dust behind them. And he said, no, no, that's, they just uh, make it smaller so it's intimate. Intimate. Like it's a sheep shed. Like. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, so you want to go for a walk? Get intimate? <laughs> Let's get some exploring each other. So we go, we go and have a fun time. And, uh, you know, we hang out and uh, it was really nice. And... I wanted to stay and I wanted to go home with him, but I had a tour to Kakadu. Like, what do you do? It's <laughs> like, fuck. I'm not going to get to see a croc. You know, what's, what's important here? Anyway, so I go back to stay at the backpackers in, uh, in Mitchell Street. Yeah, that's pretty special. People falling out of the bunks and farting and snoring. And anyway, I get, I get to the... Uh, I, I get to the bus tour with like minutes to spare with the most massive hangover because, you know, I've been drinking all night and uh, the bus driver does not shut up. <laughs> and I was thinking about the guy that I just met the night before. I was thinking about, well, where's this going to lead? And I, we arranged to meet and we met the next night and I, I, was, I was at the club for two hours looking for him before I could find him and I was about to leave and I said, I found him and I said, well, I'm going to Squires and he looked at me judgmentally and went, you're going where? <laughs> I'll meet you at Time Nightclub. So we met at Time Nightclub and we danced a bit and decided to go home together and that was the first time we went home together. And uh, we sat up all night talking. But in the bus, in the, in, in the taxi on the way home, I had been thinking what I had decided on the bus tour, in, in the, you know, the hangover. I decided that I had to be honest, I had to be upfront, I had to tell him the truth. And so I had to tell him when I went home that night that I was HIV positive. And uh, I decided that it was best that I do that sooner rather than later because it would cause complications. And as fe fearful and as afraid as I was of being rejected, I thought that that was the best thing to do. And he, sat, he will tell you that it happened in the garden. I will tell you that it happened on the bed. <laughs> uh, I, you know, we sat up talking all night. And at that point, I think that's when I realised at the end of that night, before going to sleep with the sun setting, that I'd fallen in love. You know, that there was something that was happening. And uh, we spent the next four days together before I had to return to Sydney. And 
I was uh, just wandering streets while he was at work, really, in a daze. Um, and we, you know, suddenly I found myself at Darwin Airport going, having to catch the flight back to Sydney and, and the madness and um, making a phone call to him from the airport saying I didn't want to leave. And he said, practically, he said, well, it's not my decision. So we, uh, we go to see, I, I moved to Darwin six weeks after meeting David and uh, I asked him to marry me uh, when I was in Sydney on the phone. Not very romantic, I know, but you know, we wrote each other lots of love letters and, uh, and emails and we spent a lot of time on the phone talking. And a year after we uh, were together to the day, we had a ceremony, a commitment ceremony at Lake Alexander. And we've had two mock-up ceremonies since, which has been part of the Darwin Pride Festival to highlight the fact that gay and lesbian people don't have the same rights when it comes to marriage. And um, the one of the most, or, you know, above, I guess, and beyond the thing that I am proud about with myself is the fact that uh, David and I have been together for 16 years uh, and that he uh, and I, you know, I have found myself since coming to Darwin. My life is completely different to what it was uh, at the end of the period where I was unravelling. Um, I have found my voice and I, you know, I speak up where I feel like I need to speak up about social justice issues. But above and above, beyond that, what is most important to me is my relationship and my love for my partner and that, that has sustained 16 years of some, you know, pretty horrific stuff that happened, has happened to me. Uh, and, um, you know, that I can be proud of that, but I am extremely proud of the fact that he has been awarded an AM for his 25 years of continued service in Indigenous communities and that he remains HIV negative after 16 years of living with me and I've been positive for 13 year, 30 years uh, this year. So I don't know what else, if not that, that defies chemistry. Thank you. That story was told by Daniel Alderman. Daniel first told this story at Spun Stories, a live storytelling event in Darwin, showcasing extraordinary stories from the Northern Territory. Spun also has a podcast. To listen, search Spun Stories on your favourite podcast app. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarong lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. Timothy Nguyen is our social media producer and Lydia Yosefova is our community and events coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.